Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together to study your word. We ask that you guide and lead us as we, as we look at it. If anyone else is coming, that you bring them quickly. And that you just really teach us tonight. In your son's name, amen. amen. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that you may not appear to men to fast. But unto the Father which is in in, which is in secret, and your Father, which sees in secret, shall reward you openly. So we're going to look at these two thoughts here. 6.14. We just got done with the Lord's Prayer, and we covered that uh, over the entire session. And he starts out, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And this is something that a lot of people have trouble with because this is not referring to our salvation with God. All right, and we want to just bring this up. It's not, these are not salvation verses. These are relationship verses. Okay, because the word for forgive means to send away, yield up, let go, not to discuss, depart from, leave from, and abandon. Okay, and we've talked about this when we look at forgiveness, we need to let that go. Too many times as humans, we will not let something go. Oftentimes in marriages, people will say, well, I've forgiven you, and then they get in the middle of a fight, and everything you've ever done for the entire length of the marriage is thrown in your face when, when, when you argue. And that tells you, number one, it hasn't been forgiven, and it's really not a very fair way to argue. And it's, and, but a lot of people have that kind of relationship in their life. Uh, on the PowerPoint on, uh, that I put up, and we gave this flyer out many months ago, but forgiveness is a choice. And we need to keep reminding ourselves, forgiveness is a choice. I choose to forgive somebody, or I don't choose to forgive them. How does it work? In my thoughts. I will not dwell on the incident. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5 is the verse they put down. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ. If I do not dwell on what somebody has done to me, I will basically, for all practical purposes, forget it. And you know whether somebody's dwelling on it or not. When the first thing out of their mouth is, this person did such and such, or this person did, maybe not even nine years, but just immediately they throw out what they've done, you know that that person's dwelling on what they did. And it could be nine years ago, it could be 10 days ago, it could be 20 years ago. I've seen people that have been mad at people for decades, and they dwell and they, they revive it over their minds. But the first step is to quit thinking about it. And in my speech, I won't talk about it. How many times have you heard somebody speak about somebody? You may not even know this, that person, but they're always talking about how bad they are, how they hurt them, how they did. How, what are they really trying to do? They're trying to tear that person down in your mind, and you don't even know who they are half the time. It's even worse, though, if you do know who they're talking about. Uh, 
But in our speech, you know, in First Peter 2, 1, it says, Therefore, laying aside all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. We do not want to talk about what others have done. And then the last part is, in my actions, I will not get the, allow the incident to embitter me against the forgiven person or use it to hurt them. And the verse 8 tied to that was 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If we take these incidences that, we, that I've kept on the PowerPoint, and I probably will pass it out again because I think it's so important for people to understand. I don't think about the incident, I don't talk about the incident, and I do not use it to harm the ind individual when I'm around them. If I can do those three things, I'm practicing forgiveness. And if I quit thinking about it, the rest of these other two are easy. If I stop thinking about it, I'm not going to speak about it and I'm not going to use it in, as in an argument because if you stop thinking about something long enough, even though, yes, it's in the back of your brain, it hasn't been lost, for all practical purposes, you've forgotten it. Yeah. How many of us know what we ate last week on, on, on Thursday night? You know, unless you eat the same thing all the time, you probably have no clue what you ate unless it was a special special event, you know, give a couple days, you forgot what, what you ate. Why? Because it wasn't important enough for put on the forefront of your mind. And for all practical purposes, you've forgotten about it. And this is so important. God says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. And it's all about the relationship. Once I'm saved, I'm saved. I cannot lose my salvation once I am saved. Now, the question is, was I saved, you know, which we won't go into. But once you are saved and you know you're saved, you can go out of fellowship with God. You could, you could let sin get involved in your life to the place where God says, until you've forgiven, until you've asked for repentance, I'm not going to fellowship with you. Adam and Eve had that opportunity. Comes walking in the garden, Adam, where are you? We're hiding because we're, we're naked. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat the fruit? That point, God was saying, Adam... Are you ready to repent of your sin? What was Adam's response? He pointed both directions. God, it's your fault. You gave me this woman who, tricked me, who, who gave it to me. So God, it's your fault and her fault. He didn't admit that he, was, that he was guilty. Eve did the same thing. She didn't admit that her guilt either. She pointed to the serpent. We still do that things. And this is what this is talking about. If I'm going to point to somebody else and say it's their fault... God's going to say, we're out of fellowship until you get yourself right with your, fam with your family, with your brothers, with your, with your fellow person. Because he's not going to reward us for living in sin. And then he says, but if you forgive, men, uh, forgive not their men, their trespasses, he won't forgive you. And that is for fellowship purposes. And we want to keep this in mind. Our fellowship with God is what is at stake here. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. In Peter, he tells men that husbands, if you have anything against your wife, the father will not hear your prayers because you're not in fellowship with the one you're supposed to be mostly in fellowship with on a human level. And God says, fine, you don't want to get that relationship in place, then we will have a place of, of problems. And God's standard is so much different than man. We think we're justified to be angry with somebody. And you know what? Sometimes we are justified. But that does not mean that it's right for us to hold on to that anger. And I've shared with you, one of my favorite words in the King James Bible is the word forbearance. 
and it means to give up my right to demand punishment, which is really what forgiveness is all about. I give up my right to, to have you be punished. And you know, if we have God's true love in us, that should be our heartbeat to not demand that somebody else gets punished because I love them enough the way that God loves them. And how much does God love us? He sent Jesus to die for us while we were his enemy. And what he would have, should have said, well, well you, when you guys finally get, get your act together a little bit, then I'll give, you, I'll give you the salvation. But that's not what he said. And that's not how we are to behave. And it's not how we are to be in witnessing. I've heard Christians say, well, I'll talk to this person when they, when they start to you know, show me that they deserve it. I am so glad that's not the way God deals with us. He reaches out and touches us while we are yet his enemy. We're bitterly against him and he still touches us and draws us to him. He expects us to do the same thing. And through experience, I'm going to tell you right now, it's much easier to witness to somebody who is a very wicked sinner because they will recognize that they're a sinner a lot faster than somebody who thinks they're basically good. It is much easier to go talk to the bum on Skid Row or the person wasting their life you know, every day and, and knows that they're having a hard time than it is to talk to somebody who thinks they're pretty good because they're comparing themselves to the bums on Skid Row and the people wasting their life away and say, well, I got my, you know, things are going pretty good in my life. I'm not that bad. Those are the people Jesus had the problem with, the scribes and the Pharisees, saying, hey, we're righteous. We're, 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 obeying, we're obeying Moses' laws. They weren't, but they said they were. And Jesus always had trouble with them because they did not recognize that they needed a Savior. The first step in witnessing to somebody is to convince them that they're lost. And some people are harder to convince that they're, lost, that they're a sinner and lost than others. And we need to be able to see this. And he's saying... Forgive one another. You've got to forgive them and their trespasses, the, the, the things that fell beside the way. And why should we forgive people of their trespasses? If we really are honest with ourselves, we have more than enough trespasses of ourselves that we want forgiven. If we can't show an, that at least that much love to somebody and forgiveness to somebody, we've got a problem. And that takes us to the parable of Jesus when he said, you know, he forgave the man who owned him, owed him 10,000 denarii or whatever it was, you know, it, it, it amounted to decades worth of wages and he forgave him and he went out and found somebody that owed him just a couple days worth of wages said, I'm going to pay you back and had him thrown into prison. And what did God say? I'm going to take you and you're going into prison. Why? Because he did not have that forgiveness. Forgiveness is so important because if we can't forgive somebody, we're saying a lot about ourselves, how we think we are. If I can't forgive somebody, I'm basically saying I don't have that much to be forgiven of because I would forgive otherwise. And this is where his love comes out. And this is why it's important. And I think it's even worse. If God can forgive us, who are we not to forgive other people that God has already forgiven? Because he's, he shed his blood for them. We need to be able to do this because it is very hard to minister to somebody who needs ministering to and needs the salvation message if you're holding on against them and you're sitting there angry with them. Number one, you're not wanting to share God's word with them because you don't have that love. You don't think they deserve it. And that puts ourselves, I mean, when you really think about this non-forgiveness thing, it really puts, you're trying to put yourself equal to or above God. It's putting myself in a very wrong position. 
And we want to be very careful because Jesus is telling them, and this is something we can't do as a human, okay? Don't even think that we can do this as a human because it can't be done. It takes the power of God. It takes his love coming out of us to be able to forgive people. It takes a recognition that he forgave us so that I can forgive others. This is where the whole thing I keep over, I harp on this a lot because it's so true. The only reason I can do any of this is because God fills me, crucifies my flesh, and he pours out of me. This is the only way we can do anything in our Christian walk. Because otherwise it's us. And God says the flesh isn't going to be what he rewards. He wants to crucify our flesh and take over. And he just needs us to say, come on in and take over. Mm-hmm. Yep. In, in Romans 12, uh, we are a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. If we are sacrificing ourselves, he comes and changes us. He makes us who we need to be. And this is why it's important for us. We forgive, and that forgiveness really is to let go. Let go. And this takes us back into what, we, what I talk a lot about. God is our defender. If they deserve punishment, God will come along and punish them. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now we as humans usually say, vengeance is mine, it's not God's. I'm going to go take care of this person. They hurt me. And if we have that attitude, really we're not doing anything good. All we do is escalate the problems. And we see this all the time in the, in the crime world. If somebody strikes against somebody, they have to come back and, and hit harder. And then they, that group hits back harder and... You know, we see that escalation of, of revenge that happens. We can even see it in our families to a degree if somebody's living in that revenge escalation and they just got to get back. I got to do something. I got to do something to make them know that they hurt me. And then there's no family relationship there. And families get torn apart all the time by those, those kind of activities. Or they get their feelings hurt and don't forgive. And, and then you bring them together in a family, family event and it's nothing but tension. I, I am so thankful that my family doesn't have all these tensions in, in there, for the most part. One side hardly at all, and the other side just a little bit. But they're not vicious ones out there. And God is saying, forgive. Forgive. Release what you have against that person. Send it away. Bury it. Let it be buried. Because... It's not going to be of any use anyway. If we just forgive people, our life is much better off. And I have seen so many people that just cannot forgive. For whatever reason, they are so bitter in their life. And bring up the person's name that they're angry with, and man, all of a sudden their, their face falls, and, and they've got nothing but negative to say because they have not forgiven that individual. And we need to learn. And you'll hear things. Well, it's only the truth. They deserve it. This is what, this is what, you know. And they'll give you all these excuses why what they're saying is valid and truthful. And you know what? It may very well be truthful, but we want to learn forgiveness. And what I've said over and over, Satan gives us facts about who we are. He'll tell us about how bad we are. And that, that really is true. We are bad in many areas of our life. But the truth is from Jesus that we're forgiven and the, our sins are covered and, we're for, and he doesn't hold it against us. So Satan gives us all of our facts. He throws out the facts, but say, God's saying, I've forgiven you. So when Satan comes and attacks us, we need to go, you know what, that's all true, but here's the, here is the real truth. I'm forgiven, 
and the, those things are under the blood. Because we need to start, if we can start understanding ourselves that way, then we can pour it out to others. It would be very easy. That should be also what we're doing. Now, that doesn't mean we don't tell them what the Bible says necessarily, but we're not to sit there and judge them and say, I'm going to have nothing to do with you because of your sin. And I've said this over and over. I want everybody in town in our church, no matter what their sin is. That does not mean I'm not going to speak about what their sin is according to the Bible when I get those verses, which means they probably won't stay, which has happened already, people coming in that had a lifestyle that was spoken against. But I'm not judging them. That's not my job to judge them. My job is to give them the gospel of Christ so that they can become saved and then God will work out those sins out of their life. And, you know, this is something we have to be very careful of. And the favorite verse, and we'll be getting there in, a couple, in about a week or two probably, is, you know, the, everybody's favorite verse nowadays is John, uh, Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged. Okay, that is because that is displacing John 3.16 as the one, the verse that everybody out there knows is now as Matthew 7.1. But Matthew 7.1 goes on, it doesn't say you don't judge, but it says you will be judged by what measure you judge. So we want to be careful because we judge all the time. We judge right and wrong all the time. But we need to be careful how we communicate that with others. Just as we were talking the other day about speaking truth. We can speak the truth in such a way that somebody is belittled or we can say it in a loving, gentle way that builds up and edifies somebody. And we need to be careful that we keep it in that loving way. If we're going to do it, it's through love. And I talk to the, the men all the time at the prison, because, you know, especially when I was a chaplain. They're going, well, how do, I, how do we deal with this guy who says he's a Christian but doesn't live like it? Pray for him. Pray for them. If you have a relationship and you're praying with them, then you might be able to gently encourage them to live a better lifestyle. But I told him straight up, if you're not praying for them, you have no business talking to somebody about their sin. And that's the same thing in a church. If you're not praying for somebody, you're not praying for somebody that you're, that you're seeing live a bad lifestyle, you have no business trying to correct their, their lifestyle because you didn't have enough love for them to get down on your knees and pray. And that's the first step always is pray for that individual. Most of the time when you pray for them, God will get hold of them without you having to talk to them. That's been my experience. The majority of the time they get corrected by God without me ever having to do anything but talk to God about it. On a rare occasion, if, I have, if I've developed a relationship with them, I've talked to them and, made some, and helped them get some changes. But prayer is that first step. I pray, I ask forgiveness, I'm asking God for them, I'm in front of them and, and letting God work. And I'm giving up my right to demand punishment. Can you imagine the, what, how Jesus would have reacted if he had come down here with the attitude of, I'm going to make them all be punished for everything they've done wrong. You know, he could have been doing nothing but punishment. He would have been right to even because he was God. <laughs> and they were sinning against him. He had every right to be hard on people and to push them away and push them down, and yet he loved them and built them up and edified and forgave. And most of the time, he forgave before they even asked. This is where true forgiveness is exercised in its greatest capacity. When we forgive even before people ask, 
This used to be, when I first got married, this was a sore point between my wife and I because I forgave people. I, I did not want to hold a grudge, and I just forgave them, and she would get mad at me because they, go, she did, they didn't ask. She's come around in, to my way of thinking since then, but, you know, but we want to say we need to forgive because I'm not God. I'm not the one that's going to punish everybody. They stand or fall before God. If they hurt me, then, they, then God's going to take care of them. If they continue hurting me, God's going to take care of them. And I have seen this happen over and over in my lifetime, watching people go against pastors and then watching God judge them, watching them go against uh, some friend and try to destroy them and watch God move in their life against them. God is a wonderful defender of his children. Now, sometimes it doesn't seem like it. It seems like these people are getting away with stuff. But they will, in the end, reap what they have sown, and God will deal with them, sometimes very harshly. Uh, verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that you may appear not to, unto men to fast, but your Father which is in secret, and your father which sees in secret shall reward you openly. And Jesus is going right at the scribes and Pharisees at this point because they used to go around. They would purposely not wash their faces so that they would look haggard and dirty and, and they would have, try to get their eyes to water so it would look like they were crying. And when they fasted, they would purposely try to make themselves look miserable. And God is saying, when you fast... Wash your face. Put the, put the oils on it. Make it shine. Make it look healthy. Make yourself look as normal or even better than normal as you could because you are not to draw your attention to what you are doing. And he uses the word hypocrites. And this word is very strong in the, in the Greek. It literally means play actor. And if you've ever seen any of the Greek tragedies that they used, you know, they would hold these masks up in front of their face. If they were happy, they'd put a mask with a really happy face on it, exaggerated, you know, features of happiness. If they were sad, they'd put a mask in front of their face with a exaggerated droopy mouth. If they were angry, you know, they put these masks in front of themselves and rather than act it out like we do in our day and age where the actors have to be able to control their faces, there they would just plop masks in front of them and they were called play actors. And God's saying, the hypocrites, you're, you're play acting. You're putting this really sad face and it's really not even who you are, but you're trying to make people think. Basically, that's what it boils down to. Draw attention to myself. And that's what he's saying. They've got their reward. They drew their attention to themselves. They've got their earthly reward. And that's all they've got. For us as Christians, sometimes we have Christians who will do the same thing because they'll talk very loudly about how they're praying all night or fasting or whatever it is. And there's nothing necessarily wrong in saying that you're doing it, but if you're doing it in a way that's trying to glorify yourself, look how spiritual I am because I've been fasting for a week or look how spiritual I am because I've given 80% of my income to, to God or look how spiritual I am because I read my Bible every day. You're crossing the line at that point. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I've, I've been reading my Bible this week, and man, look, listen to some of the stuff I'm learning. There's a whole different aspect in that, where God has just been blessing me so much because I've been giving, and it's just wonderful to watch him do this. 
There's a way to be able to say this without that vain glory saying, look at me. And here Jesus is saying, they want to be looked at. It all has to be his glory because we have nothing to be gloried in. And, uh, and it says, God sees in secret, he rewards you. And this reward literally is more of an open reward. God does not hide his rewards for us. He gives open rewards to us. And this is the wonderful thing. When we are dependent on God, we watch him give us the blessings, not just physical monetary blessings, but he gives us blessings. He gives us peace. He gives us the, the joy. Paul said, I have learned to be content with much and with little. And he meant it, I'm sure, because he had had times when he had little and he, had know, and he knew that God was still going to supply his needs. You know, God will supply all our needs. Now, especially for us as Americans, we think needs are a little more than what God probably thinks the needs are because he knows what needs are. I'm sorry. I, mean, I, I agree with you. You go to the rest of the world and, you know, our poor people who eat two, two big meals a day and say they're starving in America are, are having a feast compared to most of the world. It's very hard for me to feel sympathy in America for people who say that I'm dying because I'm not getting this because you look at what they have and we've set our poverty level at a ridiculously high level because our poverty level in most of the world would put you in the middle class, well-off part of town. You know, it's, it's hard to feel sorry for that. It is hard in our country because things are at a much higher style but I've been in the rest of the world. I've seen people living in Quonset huts that, that can't hold up to the storms and rains. I've seen people live in little tiny shacks. And that's what they were living in. And most of them were happy to have what they had. An American would have been going, well, that's smaller than my closet. How can you be happy with that? We have too much materialism in our life. This is where I, we want to look at. Are we content with what God has given us? And this is something we have to be careful of. And most of people in America, if God tells them to move and do something else, they first have to sell their house, get rid of the cars, pack up all the stuff they have, and then find some way to move it because they can't imagine living at the new place without. You look at what is really necessary. When I first moved here to Kingman, we came with what fit in our Astro van. And it was mostly books because I wanted my books so I could continue studying when I got here. I figured everything else was replaceable. But we look at this, what is it that we need to have to be happy? Ultimately, if we're really looking at what it should be, it should just be God. I need God to be happy. If I've got God in my Bible, I'm going to be pretty much set with anything else I need. And I can even replace the Bible if I have to. Fellowship, fellowship, well, fellowship is good, but I mean, we start with God. God's going to bring us into fellowship if we're following him because that's what he says to do. And we start praying for Christians or we start leading people to Christ and we end up getting Christians to fellowship with. Or he leads us to Christians to fellowship, whichever the case might be needed. This house was a tent for a while, was it not? Oh, it was. The tabernacle was a tent. But we want to be able to stand before God and be content with him. And this is so important, especially in a place like America where it's so easy to get wrapped up in material goods. My dad went to visit, I can't remember which one of the stands, it was in the Baltic area after the fall of the, of the uh, Russian Empire. And he went there to be a, a guest speaker with another pastor. 
Well, they got there at about two o'clock in the afternoon. All they wanted to do was go to the hotel and get settled in. And they took them straight to a Bible study. And they taught from about four o'clock to one o'clock in the morning. And they finally just said, guys, we've got to go get some sleep. So they went to the hotel, got their sleep. They got back there at five o'clock in the morning. And the people were already there waiting for them to get there. And they spoke again through the whole day till one o'clock, two o'clock the next morning. Would that ever happen in America under a way we have right now? I doubt it. I doubt that it would ever happen here until we have persecution. But there they were so hungry for the word of God. And it's wonderful when you're a teacher to have people who want to hear because it gets drawn out of you. People want everything that you have. And it's fun as a teacher to have that relationship. These people that he was speaking to were hungry. And they were a good thing there were two teachers to be able to teach that long. They wanted more. And they didn't even want to end when they were saying, well, we're tired again, guys. We've got to go. We've got to go get some sleep before the next day. They only spent like three days there, but it was marathon teaching sessions. I've done things where I planned a Saturday event and people are ready to leave after three hours. Just that's the way the that's the way we are in America. I've had enough. I got to go do other things. Well, have you ever been to like a spiritual retreat where they do that all day, all night? I mean, I haven't. The retreats are always broken up. There'll be two or three hours, but then it'll be a break of two hours, and then another two or three hours. It's not the way Americans think because we are driven with this entertainment and and doing things. And even on a retreat, an hour of it is music with some band usually, and then you only have an hour, an hour and a half of teaching. Attention span isn't very long for adults in Hear that, and I don't agree with it. The world teaches us that it is that way. But if you are focused in on something, your attention span will be there. If you really want something, how many people can sit in a drama, a stage drama that's good for two hours and watch the whole thing and not lose focus? Then they come to church and they lose focus after five minutes of speaking from the pastor. Why? Because there's not that interest in it. It's the priority of their life. They can sit down and watch a game for hours at a time without losing focus on the game and tell you everything that's been happening on that game, but they can't sit and be uh, trained with God because it's not a priority. These people, it was a priority. They were hungry. They had not been given Bible training and they were hungry for it been in places where we've gone hours at a time with with it because people were hungry for it but we need that attitude I get hungry I'm that hungry for it. that's why I listen to the Christian radio and I actually get irritated between the shows when they give me 10 minutes worth of music because it's like get this music out of here give me another teacher in here and it's not that the music is bad but I'm I want to be taught I'm not listen I'm not there to be hearing the entertainment, I want to be taught. Yeah, being taught patience by putting up with the music, yes. <laughs> I'm still not a patient person, so. But we sit there and we need to say what is important to us. Why is this something that I want to be dedicated to? And it is so important because we're looking at this. Verse 19, to continue this thought. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break in to steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be. 
God says, where are you laying your treasure? These hypocrites were saying, I'm going to make it look like I'm being righteous, and this was their treasure to be to look good. Here God says, where are you laying up your treasure? What are you putting your faith in? This is why when I talk to people and say, God wants you to do such and such, well, I just can't do it. I just can't figure out how it's done. Well, my job is not to figure out how the truths of God work. My job is just to be obedient. And by saying, God, I trust you. I don't understand how it works. Tithing is a great example of that. God, I don't know how I can live on 90% of what, of 90% of what I couldn't live on the 100%, but you said to do it, and then he blesses it. And then he goes, if you walk around long enough tithing, he goes, okay, I want you to give more than the tithe. Uh, God, I just don't understand that, but I'm going to do it. You said do it, I'm going to do it. We look at certain people in, that, that have been out there, the, the founder of Caterpillar, I can't remember his name, again with a T, the guy who first started it. He gave God 90% and he lived on 10%. And that's how he lived his life. Sears and, uh, Sears and Roebuck and J.C. Uh, Penny were people that gave God 90% lived on 10%. God blesses that placing of saying, oh God, I'm going to trust you. Now, not everybody is called to give 90%. <laughs> that takes a lot of trust. That takes a lot of, you better be called if you're going to do that, because otherwise you're being foolish. But if God says, okay, I want you to give 20 or 30% of your income, are you ready to do that? If God says, give me 12%, <laughs> yeah. for some people he's saying, give me my 10%. <laughs> And we give it to him. We give him our attention. We give him our praise. We give him our, his honor. We, we, and as I said just the other day, I truly, fully believe that God wants us to tithe our time to him as well as our finances. And I know most people do not tithe their time to God. There are some that do. There are some that do. But if you think about that, almost two and a half hours of every day should be, belong to God. Do we start our day at least with an hour or so of prayer and Bible reading and just have to find another hour and a half someplace else? Yeah. Many people can't even give God the beginning of their day for 30 minutes to an hour. Francis of Assisi was asked one day, he goes, a few, Francis of Assisi was asked one day, he goes, if you knew that God was coming today, what would you do? He's going, I'd continue working in my garden because I've been serving him and doing what he told me to do. He was so confident that he had been listening to God and doing everything that God does. He says, I would just keep working here in this garden because this is what God has asked me to do. Martin Luther one time said he had such a busy day that he had to get up two hours earlier to get two more hours of prayer in so that the rest of his day would go good. And he wasn't saying, I'm going to pray two hours earlier and stop. He's going, instead of doing his normal two or four or whatever it was he did, it, he was going to add two more hours of his day because he was so busy, he wanted God to be fully in control of his day. And you know, I understand what he says because the days I start my day off with Bible reading and a good time in prayer with God, the rest of the day usually goes much smoother and with much more peace. The days I sleep in and get up late and have to run around, those days are miserable. Always. Because God hasn't been placed first. So I would really recommend, if you're going to spend, if you really want to tithe your time to God and you're not, oh, you're not going to church or something that night, spend two and a half hours with him in the morning. Even if it means getting up earlier. And watch what he does with the rest of the day. 
it is wonderful to spend time with God in prayer and in the word or singing choruses, which is why I said Saturday, Sunday morning, we're going to start introducing some of these easy, quick choruses for people to be able to, to memorize easy, give you something to sing to God with and, and praise God. I love to sing those choruses. I grew up on those choruses in the, in the 70s and 80s. You know, just being able to drive down the street. My daughter the one time was right, you know, we took a vacation. She goes, can we just sing like we used to? Because every time I was in the car with the kids, we sang. We didn't even turn the radio on half the time. We would just sing psalms, verses out of the psalms. We sang the choruses. We sang all these. We would sing hymns if we could, however many words we could remember. But we sang all the time. We lifted up God in the midst of it. And that was one of the things she remembered most about being in the car just driving around. But are we bringing God into all of our daily situations? Do we praise? Do we sing? Do we, are we in a good spirit? Do people know that we have something that they don't have? I love walking around the prison because I'm always humming or lightly singing or something. And people look at me and, I, and they, even a couple of them go, I knew that was you back there. They still call me chaplain, you know, because even though I'm not, they, that's how they knew me for a year. I knew that was you back there, chaplain. <laughs> you know, why? Because I'm coming in with a whole different spirit than they're used to having around there. Because Christ is in the center of my life. I love to just praise and sing and, and enjoy God. Be able to say, I'm going to have a good day because, God, you're here to make it a good day. And, God, even if it appears to be a bad day, it's a good day because you've got something I'm supposed to learn. Do we have that attitude? All things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. So even if it appears to be a bad day, it's a good day. I just don't know it yet. There's some lesson, something that God's going to do, something that he's going to make good. It may take a decade before it finally gets revealed, if it ever gets revealed. But it's a good day even when I don't recognize it as a good day. He's teaching something. He's teaching me something that I need to be able to grab hold of and be able to use. It may be, as I've shared with you, when I, and, I, and I love this story, not to glorify me, but just because I walked around for six months with a gout attack on crutches, and I'm going, God, I don't understand how this can be good, but you say it's for good, and I'm going, oh, you, I'll, I'll accept it, but it's, I don't see how it's good. And about a year later, somebody had told me about how much they were encouraged that I served God and did everything I did while I was in pain and, and, and suffering. Okay? And it, I didn't do it to be lifted up and be in their eyes. I just did it because God said, serve him. And he didn't say not serve him because I was in pain. So I kept serving him. And then God used that to bless somebody else and encourage them that they could work and, and serve him through their pain. We never know what people are seeing when we are honoring God and it looks like it's bad for us. The good might be just that. Somebody looks at us and says, oh, if they can serve God under those circumstances, I can serve God with my circumstances. And you know what? That is a great blessing that we may probably never know about until we get to heaven. And God says, I'm going to bless you for this. Well, God, I was just being faithful to go to church. Yeah, but this person over here <laughs> saw your faithfulness and grew. Okay? We do not know what others are seeing when they look at us. How many times has somebody said, I just thank God for what you were doing the other day, and you're thinking, well, I was just enjoying serving God. You know, I, I, was, I wasn't even trying to do anything. You bless them 
and, but you were being blessed while, you were ble while they got blessed. It's an amazing way that God works when he brings two people together, both just trying to be used by God, and they both end up serving and blessing the other person, even though all they're trying to do is, is serve God. That's the wonderful thing about God. He, you, you are just serving God. You're, you're being a blessing to people, and the people you serve are, are blessing you in return. And it happens so often. We hear those stories all the time where somebody goes, you were such a blessing to me. Oh, it was a blessing that what you did to me was a blessing. You know, and, it's, uh, and God brings these things together. And this is the way the body works in a magnificent way. While I'm being blessed by somebody, they're being blessed. You know, one of the greatest things is when you give to somebody and they receive it. That's such a blessing when they receive it. I've, heard, I've tried to give something that I knew God wanted me to give to somebody. No, no, no. You know, they're being really spiritual. I, I really don't need it. God's going to give me it. Yeah, God's trying to give it to you. Take it. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's very important. And for us that have a hard time receiving things, we need to learn to receive the gifts that others have given us. Because if nothing else, even if you don't need it, give it away to somebody else later on. But don't steal the blessing from, from the person who's trying to give it. My, this is a lesson that my wife had to learn at one time. Somebody wanted to give us money, and she felt we didn't need it. I felt we needed it. She felt we didn't. So I'm going, no, we're going to take it because they need the, you know, they need the blessing. We'll give it away. If you don't want it, I will, we will find somebody to give it away, and we gave it away. But you know, it, it was not one of those things where I was going to steal somebody's blessing from giving. And this is something we have to be aware of. Even if they're doing it for show, God still has some blessing possibly for, for them. We need to be able to say, I'm going to lay up my treasures in heaven. I'm not looking to build up my kingdom. I want to put my heart on heaven. Because this last verse in 21 said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is so obvious. When you talk to some people, you know whether their heart is on God or not. Just because of what they talk about and what they're trying to say and what they're trying to do. And, you know, it's been, people have always said this about me. They go, you will end up talking about God. And it is true. Even before I was a pastor, I always ended up talking about God someplace. And another guy said, when he heard that I was a pastor, he goes, well, that's obvious to me that you'd be a pastor because you became very animated whenever you talked about the God or the Bible. And, it's very true. Where is our heart? When you talk to somebody, what do they talk about the most? I've had people that sports are what's most important to them. And it's very obvious that sports is what's important to them because that's all they talk about. And if you try to bring God into the talk, they'll, they'll continue talking about sports. Now, I'm not saying that if God is the center of your heart, you're going to talk about God 100% of the time, 24-7, 365 days a year. But can you go for a couple hours without talking about God? I can't even get away with it at the prison. I ends up talking about God frequently all day, throughout the day in the prison. And somehow I get away with it mostly because I was a chaplain and they know that's kind of who I am. But I would be that way anyway. I've got to talk about God at something. I've got to bring God into a situation. I've got to bring God into whatever's going on. Because he is where my treasure is. He is who I spend my time with. He is who I want to think about. I want to read my Bible. I want to get into God's word. I want to share with God people what God says and help them.
understand. And it becomes real. And when you're speaking in that way, you don't usually become obnoxious because you're not trying to force God into your conversation. He's there naturally. And I've shared with you, I, I had an amazing experience one time going out to lunch with an evangelist. And this guy was an evangelist. I don't remember where we went, but we were standing in line waiting to be seated, and he'd already talked to everybody in line about Jesus. When we sat down, he talked to everybody around, all the tables around us, and he purposely asked for one in the center of the room so he could have lots of people to talk to. He didn't want to be stuck in a booth on the side. And he talked to all those people about Jesus. The bus person, when he came by, talked about Jesus, and he waited, waitresses went by. The most amazing thing about it, though, is that he wasn't obnoxious in the way that he did it. It just flowed from him very natural. If they accepted it, great. If they didn't, great. It didn't matter to him one way or the other. He was just going to talk to them about Jesus. Now, if I had tried to do what he had done, it would have come off kind of obnoxious, even though I love God as much as I do. There would still have been a, you know, irritant to them. When God is number one in that area of your life, you're going to have a difference when you're speaking. I always bring God into it, and the way I do it, usually it does not come across obnoxious, even to the lost world. They may not like it, <laughs> but it doesn't come across overly offensive to them because they can just see that it's real, just as their views are real to them. And I find some of what they say crazy and obnoxious, but I understand it's real to them, and it doesn't offend because I know that that's just who they are. And our treasure, where is our treasure? Do I put God first in most of my life? Because no, none of us are going to put him first in all of our life, unfortunately. But is he first in most of my life? Is his word important to me? Is praying with important to me? Is worshiping him important to me? Sharing with others important? This is something that is very true. As a manager in the restaurants, I had to be very careful how hard I pushed to talk about God because I was in charge. I could not make it look like being a Christian was going to have them any benefit. But when any door was open to speak about Christ, I used it. Used it all the time when a door was open. The way I am at the prison, if a door is open just a little bit, I'm going to use the opening to talk about Jesus because Jesus is the most important thing that I can be talking about. And, and I can talk sports, I can talk about science, I can talk about a lot of things, finances, business, I can talk about a lot of things. But I always want to talk about Jesus because he's what's most important. And again, I make this point of, this was even before I was a pastor, this, this is the way I have been since I got saved. I want to talk about Jesus because he's important. How important is he? Is that where we're laying up our treasure? If it is, Everything we do and say will indicate that he is what's important to us. And I've seen, I've been with people who claim to be Christians who don't talk about Jesus. And if you try to bring Jesus in the conversation, they, they kind of deflect it. No, don't want to talk about that subject. It's not Sunday morning. Sunday morning, I'll talk about Jesus all you want, but it's not Sunday morning. Don't talk to me about Jesus. And those type of people, I'm going, either they're not saved or, and, or, and, and definitely their heart is not in heaven. Their treasures are not being put in heaven. And we want to be very careful. I'm not going to sit there and judge them. It's between them and God. But at the same time, I'm looking, why isn't your heart, why isn't your treasure and your heart in heaven? That's where eternity is going to be. This is, I don't want a bunch of stuff on this earth. 
it's going to be gone. Even if I live to be 200, it will eventually be gone. And only what I've got in heaven is going to matter. So I want my treasure in heaven. I want to put things in heaven. I want to invest into God's kingdom and say, God, I'm going to put as much money as I possibly can into your kingdom and watch it grow and see what you're going to do. And God has asked me to do that. I've for many years have been above a, above a tithe because God keeps saying, do this, do this, do this. How far will he take me? I have no idea yet. <laughs> I have no idea how far he'll take me. But I'm willing to take it as far as he wants me to take it because I want to honor him. And I know that he's going to meet my needs. And for each one of us, that's what we need to know. God, you're going to meet my needs. You're going to get me what I need to get by. And then we have eternity. Yeah, I, I talk about, you know, once in a while, I'd like to retire from the actual workforce. But you know what? I never want to retire from what I'm doing now. I want to be a pastor until I go home. Because this is what is most important to me. I'd like to quit work in other places. That, that, those, those things are just necessary evil to, to meet other people and talk about Jesus uh, to, to other people and get some money from. But this is where my heart is. I love to teach people. I love to help people grow. I love to watch people growing in Christ and changing and becoming more Christ-like, setting their heart on, the, on God and setting, having their treasure in heaven and watching those changes in their life because those are eternal. Those are going to be the things that I get to see in heaven and see these people come to heaven and say, I had just a little part. <laughs> little part in their growth. And I've been doing this for decades, and I haven't been a pastor for decades, but I've been teaching and, and watching people grow for decades. And just little pieces here, little pieces there, little pieces there. Maybe even changes that I don't know anything about. And that's why I said one of my favorite songs I listen to is Thank You, the song where he says, I dreamed I went to heaven, you were there with me. And then they said, this young man came up to you and gave, said, you know, you may not remember me, but you used to teach my Sunday school and I got saved. You know, and this other person said, you gave and the missionary was able to minister to me because you gave. How much blessings are out there in heaven when we get to heaven that we know nothing about? Nothing about some of the blessings that we're going to get. Somebody's just going to come up and said, you know, you may not know me, but I watched your life at that job that you worked in and I watched how you responded to all these all these activities. I watched how you honored God by being a good worker and I eventually became saved because of your, your testimony. And you may not have even known the person. They just watched, watched you from a different distance. The integrity that you show somebody when you go up to the cashier when they gave you more change than you were supposed to and hand it back to them and go, you gave me too much change. They don't, they don't understand that, but yet it impacts them. This person did something. You know, especially if you get a just to say, well, I'm just being, I just need to be, have integrity and, and live before God. I did that, and I've told you guys just recently, I, went, I got overpaid at, at, at work, and I went in and I reported the overpayment. The, the, the payroll department was looking at me like I was a nut. I'm going, I'm a man of integrity. God demands integrity, and I need to let you know that I got overpaid. I'm not going to take something that doesn't belong to me if I can in any way, shape, or form change that. Now, I don't know if those payroll people were Christians or not, but they definitely saw a Christian in action. And if they're not Christians, it gives them an opinion of, oh, this person has a higher, higher integrity level and they're, and they're saying it's because of God. It may have an impact in their life. 
And I don't know. I don't know them that well. I, I don't deal with payroll that often. It could open a door. It could be that they would come later on and say, hey, I, I have this problem. I was wondering if you might be able to. You never know what impact you have on somebody's life that's little. This is why everything is to be put into heaven. At the treasury of heaven where God says, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it here and I'm going to give you the rewards that it's due. And there are going to be rewards that we have no idea what we got rewarded for because it just was, we were doing, and I love it when you just do it because you're being yourself and it's honoring God. You just do it and it's because God has just commended it into you and changed your life and you're just doing it because that's what he said. And then those will be the best rewards we have in heaven because he got rewarded not because I was trying to, not because I was trying to do anything, just because I was living for God. And that's where the great treasures are going to come from. And those times when we give money to help missionaries and we don't know how it's going to be used. But you know, God knows every penny that we've gone and where it goes and how it helped them and what it's going to do for them and how they're going to grow from it and how they're going to be developed from it. And he says, you get the reward for just giving. Those times when you give the last $20 in your pocket because you don't have anything more, but you really know that this person needs it. And God's going to say, well, if you had more, you would have given it. I'm going to bless you as if you had the more. Because he knows that their heart was in the right place. And if we're being stingy and tight, then God's going to say, well, <laughs> your reward's going to be stingy and tight. You could have given, you could have given much more. We in America are very generous as a, as a people. But yet we're giving out of our abundance in most cases. Jesus standing outside the treasury at the temple, looking at the rich people throwing in their, their quote-unquote big gifts, but not, not, not giving till it hurts. Then looked at the widow who threw in two pennies, and God said, she's given more than any of them because she gave everything she had. Wouldn't you like to know the rest of that story, how she was blessed for giving the two mites when she went home? You know, had dinner or something because she was given and not, not even being able to buy dinner. Not even being able to buy dinner. Wouldn't you like to know how God blessed her for the next week? You may find out. Oh, we'll find out in heaven, I'm sure, because uh, I'm sure she's there. She may, be, she may be a center of attention. Tell us about the rest of the story. After you gave that, how did God bless you? Because I'm sure she didn't go home and die which is what she expected to do by giving the last of her income. Who knows what happened, you know, to, to bless her for, for giving everything. I would love to know the rest of the story. Huh? Well, I'm not even going to write the... Yeah, we could... Yeah. A book, somebody who likes that kind of stuff could... But, you know, how many places in the Bible have we been introduced to somebody that then the story stopped? where they got very small blessing, or it kind of just left them, with, left them out in the open, and it's like, okay, well, what else happened? Would you like to meet the leper who came back and thanked Jesus? What happened in your life after that? How did you use that to witness to, how, did you, how were you able to evangelize to your family with this, with this? Maybe we might want to meet, maybe we don't want to meet the nine who didn't. <laughs> Didn't, weren't thankful. They may have got their leprosy back for all we know. We don't, but there were so many people in the Bible that we look at and say, wouldn't you like to know the rest of their story? Some of them, I think, in heaven will get to be able to hear the rest of their story. Oh, it would have been in there if we needed to know. 
if we needed to know, because it just, all we can say is, yes, her, her faithfulness had to have been rewarded. Because that's what the Bible tells us. If you give generously, God is going to bless back. Well, that was an act of faith. Yeah. So, but I've, I've kind of wondered, you know, did, you know what, what was the rest of her story on this? You know, how was she blessed from her gift? Uh, you know, how were the other ones not blessed because they were given out of their abundance rather than out of their uh, giving until it hurt? Or how many blessings that they didn't get. Yeah. They were still blessed because they didn't get as much as they could have. In their case, they probably didn't get blessed because they were trying to sh do showy hypocrisy <laughs> stuff. Don't know their so, but... Where is our treasure? What are we willing to do for God? Have we ever given till it hurts in any area of our life? Not even just financially. I mean any area of our life. Some have, some haven't. The challenge for us is, God, how much do you want me to give and be ready to give to that level? And be ready to hurt if it, you know, make it look like it's going to hurt. Because the good news is, God is going to make sure our needs are met. And our rewards in heaven are be multiplied when we give it with the right attitude, even if it hurts. And we, we, we mentioned a couple weeks ago, you can't outgive God. And that's a famous statement. But one thing about that is if you truly believe it, then God comes back and says, do you really believe that? And he's done that to me recently. Do you really believe that? And I had to up up what I was giving because I'm going, okay, God, yeah, yes, I do believe that. How much more do you want me to give this time? <laughs> uh, and having to listen to him and find out how much more he wants given. But, you know, it's very important. I'm not, I'm not going to miss it at all because God is going to say this is what it is. Huh? Ask what question? Oh, well... Yeah, well, he told me I needed to because he asked me if I believed that you can't outgive God. So I knew the question was, how much more do you want me to give now? There was not even a question when he was talking to me that it, I had to up my offering, <laughs> up my offerings. Well, I, I was just reviewing Malachi today, and there's definitely more than one tithe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the people of Israel... When, Malachi very, very explicit. <laughs> when, you, when you read the Old Testament, <laughs> the people of Israel gave probably close to 33% of their income to God with all the tithes and offerings and sacrifices they had to give. Now, we only talk about the tithe in the Christian church, but, but by the time you added the Passover lamb and the, and the, and the uh, sin offering and the Yom Kippur and the first fruits and all of these offerings, you were talking that they were probably giving about 33 to 40% of their income to God. And we have a hard time getting Christians to be willing to give 10%. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul says be a, to be a cheerful giver. And he very clearly says, if you're not, not going to give it cheerfully, don't give it to God at all. And there is a truth to that. You know, God's not looking at us just to be obedient because we feel that we have to be obedient. No, and it's not, God is just saying, okay, you, you're, you're living by your flesh. And he's not going to bless the flesh. But when we say, God, I just want to give this to you because I want to give this to you. When I asked God how much more he wanted me to give, I knew that I was going to give whatever he told me to give. And I was going to give it cheerfully. 
And, and yeah, because I'm not going to tell anybody how much more I'm giving, but, you know, but I have not missed, and I significantly raised, raised my gift when he challenged me to, and I'm not missing it this month at all, and don't plan to miss it in the future months. You know, but the real test will be when things get tight, and it goes, God, uh, this is the extra part. Can I keep this to pay my bills? And no, I'm not even going to go there. I've done that in the past. I've, I've played that game in the past. It wasn't, any worth, wasn't worth it. It wasn't fun. God has changed the percentage. I'm going to give that percentage to him. And God, here's your bit. It's the first check I write on the... Matter of fact, the pay, pay gets to the bank on Friday, and I write the tithe check that Friday for Sunday. It comes out first. And it has to come out first. Because one thing I had learned a long time ago is if you try to pay God's tithe from the leftovers, I never had any leftovers. <laughs> And most people I talk to do not have any leftovers. And you know what? God doesn't want leftovers anyway. He wants to say, am I first? First Am I the first one in your line to be paid? That's the tithe that's supposed to be. You get first. And I shared with you guys, when I first came here and I lost my job as a programmer and I was dropped several tens of thousands of dollars overnight... I would write God's tithe out to the church. I'd write out the bills, and then I'd get, say, okay, God, here's the rest of the bills. They're yours to take care of. You either get me a job or find ways to pay these bills. And, you, and he always managed to get the bills paid. Now, I had to work extra hours sometimes. He'd give me jobs working on computers, and he'd give me, he gave me a third job to do or whatever. He blessed, and rewards came in. Sometimes it was miraculous. Uh, one summer when things were really tight because my wife doesn't work in the summer, we had somebody write a $5,000 check out to me to cover, and it covered the summer's bills. After the tithes and taxes were taken out of it, it was enough to pay our bills for three months. Has God done that very often? Nope. Usually I had to go out and set up a printer or clean up this or, or get the virus off somebody's computer for 50 or 60 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever, Whatever, I had to do things. It wasn't that I sat on my, butt, you know, on my butt waiting for God to pour money over my head. But he always provided everything I needed to do it. And some of them were supernatural. A $50 check here or a $100 check. You know, there were also those blessings as well. But God will meet our needs that we have. Always. All we have to do is be faithful. And I hear people all the time, well, if I do this, I won't be able to pay the bill. That's God's problem to pay my bills if I'm honoring him. And again, as long as I'm doing what I can to, to, now, if I had said no to these computer jobs and stuff, then God would have said, no, I gave you, here was your blessings and you rejected them. You, you, you deserve not paying your bills because you didn't take the opportunities I gave your way. So, but we take the opportunities he gives us, we, we honor him and we lift him up. And we watch what he does. And I can tell you he blesses all the time. And he will get what he wants from us anyway. One way or the other, he gets what he wants from us. He, he would rather us give it to him so he can bless us. And honor him with our whole heart. And put our treasure in heaven. Because it's going to be wonderful when we get to heaven. And God says, here's all your rewards. And, and by the way, I've been, I've been compounding them over the years with all the interest on it. And if you understand what compound interest does for you, it's an amazing power of money. It's, I used to teach people this. 
I tried to teach people to, to, to invest in their own future, and all you have to do, if, you were, if you're 20 years old and put money away for 10 years, you'll, you'll retire as a millionaire, and if you start at my age, you have to put in hundreds of thousands of dollars to get the same, same impact. It's an amazing thing, and God's going to do that with our, the stuff that we put in heaven. He's going to give us interest on that stuff and say, here's all the rewards you have. You're faithful. You were faithful. And then he takes from those who aren't faithful and gives to those who were faithful, just as he did with the man with the, with the one talent who hid it. He took it away from it and gave to the man with ten talents that had turned it into a five talents and had turned it into twenty. He says, give to the one, who, give to the one that was faithful that did, did well. God is going to bless, and when we get to heaven, it's going to be wonderful to see our heavenly home, our heavenly rewards. Now, what it means to want a reward in heaven, I've said this over and over, I have no idea what it's going to mean when we have no sin nature, but he tells us that we're going to be rewarded, so there has to be some value even in heaven for our rewards. Oh, they're clearly, clearly... Clearly, there's, there's positions in heaven. And most people have this idea that when we all get to heaven, we're all going to be on the same plane. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there are positions in heaven. Now, again, why isn't a position in heaven important? I don't know, but uh, as far as I'm concerned on this earth, I'd like to be at a higher position. How do I do that? Because on this earth, we humble ourselves and we serve one another and we serve others. Jesus served when he was on this earth. Pastors are to serve when they're on this earth, and we are to serve one another. The more we serve, the more the reward will be when we get to heaven. And you know what? Being a leader, the best way to lead anyway is to serve. Now, if you've ever worked for a dictator, you get to the place where you don't want to work for that person. You, you do whatever they say because you're afraid of your job. But if you've also had it the other way, you're working for somebody who cares for you and is wanting to make life easy for you and and help you, you'll do anything for that boss usually. Yep. You know, it doesn't matter what, it really doesn't matter what that boss needs done, you'll walk through the, the briar patch to get what they want because you just, you know that they care about you in the first place. Uh, I told a pastor one time that I, that I believe in pastoral leadership and that the pastor is, uh, need, deserves the honor of that. And he goes, well, and he was teasing me, he goes, well, we need a, we need a, uh, a roof jumping ministry, you want to deal with that? I go, you know what, if you really were serious about that and you thought that's where God wanted it to be, then I would do that because you as a leader would not, worth following, would not ask somebody to do something that was harmful. And he just looked at me because he didn't really expect that kind of an answer, but that really is true. If you're following a leader who really cares about you, you know they're not going to ask you to do anything that's going to be harmful to you on purpose. And you're really good to the place where you'll do anything. And I've only had about two bosses like that that I would have done anything for. You need me to work for three days in a row without a day off? No problem. You know, you know without time off? No problem. Because you need it and, and there's no other way to do it. I'll do this for you. But you get that person who's trying to dictate it to you. It's like, who do you think you are? I'm not working three days straight without, you know, open to close every day without, for no reason. But... True leaders serve. And I have a feeling that even in heaven, that's not going to change. Those that are in leadership positions in heaven are going to serve. Are there points to get there first? Yes, we've got to get there first. All right, let's close in prayer. 
Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you. We ask that you guide and lead us as we go through. Lord, help us to place all of our treasure in you. Help us to learn to forgive others. Help us to learn to, to be humble before others. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.